You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey everyone out there, welcome to Earth Station One, and we are here to talk all about a classic movie from the 1970s, and we are going to be looking at the far edges of our solar system and looking at the movie Silent Running, a movie featuring Bruce Dern and some robots. Some of us have very fond memories of this. Others are like, that one? Really? What are you talking about that for? It'll be really interesting to do. We got a great crew to talk all about it. And this man, I consider my sidekick robot anyway. Let's say hey to Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. How are you today, sir? I am peachy keen. Yeah, sometimes it's pretty good, uh, pretty fun to go back and look at the classics. It is a classic. And, you know. Especially the little-known ones. Well, it is. It's like one of those closet films that you know didn't make a lot of noise but a lot of people knew about it if that makes any sense Mm -hmm. it's like it almost became more popular after it came out than it did when it was originally out and that's probably true well yeah and we'll talk about it later but there's reasons for why it didn't do well when it originally came out oh yeah exactly and i'm looking forward to talking about it and you know it's like we're also going to talk about how it's a little more relevant in today's society than it was in, you know, even back in the 1970s in some ways. So it's pretty cool. But, you know, we do have a lot to talk about. and We'd love to hear from you guys on your thoughts on silent running. If you're interested, you can write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. You can visit our brand new website at earthstation1.com. And, you know, we have all these different social media ways to find us. And now we're also up on different media players. You can find us everywhere. We are going to be invading everything you could think of. We're going to be showing up in your backyard soon. We're going to be recording from your backyard. That's right, folks. Mike Gordon and I will be saying howdy to you. Right from your pool. Exactly. (laughs) Especially in the middle of winter. It'd be perfect. Absolutely. Exactly. That would be our luck. So it should be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking all about stuff and we are going to be spoiling a 45 year old movie. So, you know, folks, if you haven't seen silent running yet, please go see it first. It's up on Amazon prime. You could probably catch it a couple of other streaming places, but you know, it's always worth it to, you know, not be shocked and surprised. And, you know, we definitely would love to talk to you guys about it. So it's, a lot of fun. All right, let's get started. We have a lot of rants and raves this week. We actually have a couple deaths we have to talk about. Some passing. Yeah, it's really. I mean, it's really early into 2020, and uh, and and there's one was expected. One was totally took us by surprise. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, I guess we'll just start with that one because over the weekend uh, we we lost Kobe Bryant. Uh, NBA superstar and his thirteen-year-old uh, daughter in a helicopter accident, and uh, I mean that just came out of nowhere. Um, well, quite a few other people were on that helicopter too. True, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to diminish uh, their lives either. Um, but um, 
but yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was one of those things where it's like, you know, I mean, <laughs> we hear every once in a while, there's like plane crashes or helicopter crashes or something like that, where you lose people like, you know, like Buddy Holly, like Stevie Ray Vaughan, um, and now Kobe Bryant, where you're just, it's one of those things that just, even though, uh, you know, I don't really care about the NBA. Uh, but I mean, everybody knows who Kobe Bryant is. I mean, he was, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, right there with Michael Jordan as being just a larger than life personality that, uh, everybody you knew, no matter like, you know, what rock you lived under, right? (laughs) Well, literally it was, you know, he was a name. He was, you know, a celebrity on top of being an athlete, and he, you know, he had a documentary just last, what, two years ago in 2018. And, you know, he, you know, and he, I think he won an Academy Award for that documentary. If I'm not, if I'm correct, I might be wrong because, you know, sometimes I mishear things, but he is, you know, he transcended and, you know, was above just basketball. And, you know, he, you know, for people who, lived in the Los Angeles area or were fans of the Lakers, of course, it was him and Shaq. And then after Shaq retired, it was Kobe's basketball team. And he won five NBA championships. And, you know, he was young. He was only 41 years old. Yeah. And, you know, to be taken that young, to think about what he could have done with the rest of his life. And his daughter, 13. No, exactly. And it's just, you know, it's horrible and it's horrific and took a lot of, it took everybody by surprise. It didn't take just a couple of people. It took everyone. No one could have ever predicted that. And, you know, sorry for his family and everything. And, you know, hopefully, you know, they can have some peace and, you know, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I mean, he was, he was loved by you know obviously the la laker faithful as well as a lot of other folks and and to his family friends fans uh you know we our deepest sympathies because uh that's just that's just one of those things that you can't prepare for and it just punches you like a gut right in the gut and uh ooh, that's tough uh and you know i mean we tend to think that and for the most part it's safe but we tend to think that air travel is just a thing now but i mean it's there's still there's still some danger involved so um so that was just this weekend and it was a big surprise uh but as mike alluded to uh we lost uh someone who's who's been battling uh dementia for several years um, oh yeah uh and that is uh terry jones uh most notably known uh, for being a key member of the um, Monty Python uh, troupe. Uh, he was an actor, writer, comedian, uh, screenwriter, film director, historian, uh, activist. Uh, he was so many more things than just a member of Python. But obviously, you know, you don't get a chance to do a lot of that stuff unless you make an impact. And I can't personally... I can't think of, uh, you know, too many people that have made more of an impact on my life than uh, the folks behind Monty Python Flying Circus. Um, I have gotten, I've been blessed with getting to meet a lot of them, including Terry Jones, when he recently appeared at Dragon Con a couple years ago. And 
Look, I know that, uh, you know, and it's not the time for debate or whatever, but I know you can say what you will about, oh, uh, celebrity autographs or photos or whatever. It's just, you know, you're paying all this money, blah, 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 blah. I don't remember what I paid to get Terry Jones' autograph and meet him and 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 take it, get a photo with him. But I am so glad that I did. I got to tell him in person, thank you. Thank you for, you know, all the work that you've done and uh, the impact on my life. And, and you know, just to, I will say, um, you know, a couple of years ago when he was at Dragon Con, um, you know, you, the dementia, the aphasia was already like, he already had a degenerative condition. Um, you could tell. Uh, uh, but uh, as he sat there in, 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 in the ta- at the table, you know, between people, between people that were waiting in line, and I got, you know, I waited in line to see him for about a half an hour or so, and most of the time I could see him at the table, and between each person, he just slumped down, and it was like, it was like somebody had turned off the off switch. He was just kind of slumped down and staring into nothing, and then someone would, you know, come to the table, and and he would light up. And he would uh, communicate. He would just talk to them, um, and then you know, if they wanted a photo, they would get you know next to him, and he would just like, his, it's almost like he was like just like someone flipped that switch, and his 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 face would just go into that Terry Jones kind of like you know signature stare or look or smile or whatever you want to call it. It's hard to define what his look was. It just was this sort of like 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 I can't. I cannot describe it, but, but you know it if you, if you know Terry Jones. And he would just do that look, and it would be perfect every time. And then, you know, the person would be thank you, and say thank you, and they would walk away. And then he would just be like, down again. And, um, you know, to be honest, Mike, I didn't think that he was going to last this long. After no, a lot, of peop- a lot of people didn't think he would. And I think it was, uh, you know, one of the members of Monty Python went to go see him last year and at that point he couldn't speak and he didn't recognize um any of his friends that he's known for almost 50 over 50 years yeah he um uh out of all the the pythons um uh, i would say michael palin is probably the one he was closest with Uh, they went to oxford together uh, they became writing partners. They worked on before, prior to joining Python's Flying Circus, they were uh, doing uh, Do Not Adjust Your Set and the Frost Report, which if you guys haven't seen those, you need to. They're on YouTube. They're like early Python funny stuff. I mean, if you like Python, they're right in the same kind of thing. Um, and uh, But the two of them uh, were writing partners all throughout Python. and uh, And then when uh, the series was over and they went to make movies, he was right there in the director's chair. Uh, mm-hmm. I think for um, Holy Grail, he and Gilliam shared that, uh, that title. And from what I understand, uh, they never wanted to share that title again. So, uh, so it was determined that uh, from there on out um, that Jones would be the guy uh, that he would be the director and he directed life of Brian and meaning of life uh, solely. I mean, they had, he had input, sure, from the others. Uh, but he did some other movies, too. And, uh, you know, he was a great director. Uh, those movies are amazing uh, in their directorial, uh, I think, efforts. 
Oh, very much so. And, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with, you know, Terry Jones, it's, he was so diverse in what he did in Monty Python from, he played a lot of the female characters in it, but he was also, uh, you know, one of my favorite roles he did was in Monty Python's Meaning of Life. And he, of course, you know, a wafer thin mint. Oh, right. Yes. Uh, Mr. Creatine. Exactly. And it's just like, it's just awesome. And he was just such a great, you know, actor and comedian. And they all were so smart and, you know, very intelligent. And it came out and it was just very awesome. And you're right. He did have the look, the Terry Jones look that he gave. It was almost like very mischievous. And it was really awesome. Yeah, there was that yeah, that kind of look that you see like uh, yeah, you see it in Mighty Python many of the sketches. Uh you certainly see it in um Pi- uh, Holy Grail when he was uh uh Sir Bevedere, uh, the the wise. Um and there's you know, each one of the pythons kind of fits that role of that they were uh, as the knights of the uh, the round table like uh you know, um, and, and there's a lot of, there was a lot of, you know, obviously it's for fun, but I think that, that fit him, you know, he out of the, out of the troop, he was the wise one, you know? Oh, sure. Totally understand <laughs> that. And, you know, it was interesting and it's just, it's so sad when you see someone with such great intelligence starting to waste away and to disappear. And it's like you're being erased from reality in a lot of ways. You're being just taken out and you could see it in his face. Even the pictures you posted up on Facebook, Mike, you could see it in his face at that point. Yeah. I mean, the wear and tear is there and, uh, and yeah, I mean, it's a horrible way for anybody to go. Um, I think, uh, cause it's so gradual and it just, takes everything away from you uh you know bit by bit and uh um but the the good news is that you know i mean even though those stuff those things might have been taken away from him i mean we still have so much i mean we have all the work he did with the pythons uh we did uh you know he did other he directed other movies uh he he wrote uh a lot uh, as an author uh, I have uh, his one of his books. Um, I think it's called Fairy Tales. I also have the saga of Eric the Viking, which later became a movie. Um, he did uh, with Douglas Adams. Uh, they worked t- together on a book, uh, Starship Titanic. Yeah. Um, so, so he did a lot of uh, 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 you know work that way. Um, his uh, his passion for history, particularly medieval history. He he channeled into making uh, documentaries, as well as um, uh, a series. I think uh, Medieval Lives was one that I can remember watching. Uh, he also did one, I think, about the barbarians, uh, about uh, the Roman Empire, uh, particularly the Roman Empire uh, in relation to England. Um, and so he was, you know, he was involved with that. And look, I mean, he was active. Uh, I can remember, you know, uh, what is that? Uh, a couple uh, well, well, God, it was like, what, almost 25 years ago or so, but mm-hmm. certainly during the Iraq war, 
during many, many times where, um, you know, there's, uh, there was injustice out there. Um, he was, he was writing columns for a lot of UK publications. I think some of those have been collected, uh, but, uh, um, you know, he, uh, he was not afraid to speak out and, uh, about what he, uh, thought about. And I know, I know right now some of that is, uh, not the cool thing to do or whatever, but, uh, certainly when it comes from a man of, of hit, like someone that will say as wise as he was, uh, you know, um, it, it certainly made me stop and, and, and listen or stop and read and pay attention. Right. So, um, and, and I will say, even though, you know, like I said, I, I met him toward the end of his life. Um, he still was very kind, very gentle, uh, just a great spirit. And uh, I'm, you know, this one, you know, I, I <laughs> when the news came out, you know, uh, in true Python fashion, uh, John Cleese posted two down, four to go. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know exactly where I was when Graham Chapman passed. And that that hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, that was unexpected. Uh, that uh, came out of nowhere for me. And that really devastated me. Like you said, Mike, with this one, we kind of knew it was coming at some point. And instead of, you know, we're sad. But the fact that he doesn't have to fight that battle anymore is is a relief. Um, uh, he, uh, you know, I hope, I hope he, has, he he finds peace because he deserves it, and uh, that's just oh, awful. I mean, it had to be like ten years or so that he was fighting that. Oh yeah, he had at least. Mm-hmm. And he probably noticed it very slowly, and it just got worse and worse and it's just it's like a living hell so sorry for the loss but you know some ways thank goodness for the loss if that makes any sense yeah thank goodness he's no longer in in like suffering like that right exactly and and and, and we in you know and and we're sharing in that suffering so and his wife was by his side the whole time teenager i'm just kidding i'm sorry uh, was that rude Whoa. I'm sorry Dude. she was pretty young like his last wife was like i mean 41 years difference like good for him but wow yeah so but you know like a lot of celebrities you know i mean he got, he got married a few times that was a thing that's a thing right Mm-hmm. that's definitely true but, and, uh, you know, like I said, apparently, you know, like I said, I know Michael Palin spent a lot of time with him or uh, I could just in general, not just at the end, but just in, you know, like he spent a lot of time with him, period, more than any of the other guys. And, uh, and it was interesting to see, you know, their reaction after it passed, their, their sort of social media reaction. But uh, I mean, obviously it's Python. So you don't, you know. You're someone like John Cleese. They're not going to pull punches, right? And uh, and uh, you know they've been kicking around Graham Chapman's ashes for like decades now, because <laughs> that's just the way the pythons roll, right? Exactly. So, uh, they always so, had a little bit of dark side to themselves. Yeah, it wouldn't be Python fun without that sort of thing. And and Terry would be just as much into it as everybody else. So so. Uh, 
it's a sad day, but it's also, you know, a day where it's good to remember. And like I said, I mean, if even if you're familiar with Monty Python, if you're familiar with some of his work and you're not familiar with others, it's always a good excuse to go and, and seek that stuff out because, um, you know, certainly a lot, he did a lot of great things as a member of Monty Python, but he did a lot of great things outside of that too. Um, including he was one of the first early screenwriters for um, the movie Labyrinth. I don't think a lot of his contributions actually made it into the movie, but he was right there at the beginning of that process. Well, there you go. So, so, uh, so a lot of stuff about Terry Jones will miss you. And um, yeah, I hate to start 2020 off like with a couple of things like this, but, and I hope that's not a trend for the year. Um, but uh, we'll see what the year gives us as far as uh, everybody. Stay tuned. Watch this bat channel. (laughs) Yeah. Hopefully rants and raves does not become uh, the ESO obituary segment. No, that was two years ago on the show. There was a, yeah, I don't know if it, yeah. A couple years ago, there was like, it seemed like every, every episode it was, it was a downer. So yeah. Well, that's most of our episodes, but that's okay. (laughs) And on that note, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with an old friend. Hi, I'm Joe Heath. And I'm Tony Heath. And we host the Watchathon Arasalon. A journey through all of Doctor Who, one serial at a time. Listen in and you will learn about... Two facts! Tune in and hear our... Find out how little we actually know about science, history... Doctor Who. And pretty much anything else. The Watchathon of Rassilon. A proud member of the ESO Network. Available wherever you get your podcast fix. Keep calm and rassle on. Goodbye, and I love you. Hey everyone, welcome back. Now we're here with friend of the show, John Pence. Welcome, sir. So, John, you are joining us because you actually have a Kickstarter going on. Right, a new comics project. You want to um, tell us about it? it? A, sure. It could be a standalone book. It could be the beginning of a series. Um, the The easy way to talk about it is... It's like what would happen if an alien crashed on Earth during the last ice ages and was rescued by a hunter-gatherer from those times. But it's weirder than that. Oh. And they're not like Flintstones and, and the, the alien that they had, but like... Oh, not, so there's no kudzu. Okay. Yeah, is that who it was? The Great the, Kazoo? The Great Kazoo. <laughs> That's right, dum-dum. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> nice and uh Demetrius and Bob too um, yes, exactly. you know, there's, there's a rich tradition um, we we uh, we took it a little bit weirder than that um, I was inspired a lot by uh, a documentary that Werner Herzog did about a, a cave in France um, and you know Herzog he's, he's taking you into this thing that's um, meant to change your consciousness and your perception of reality just through the movie. And what he's talking about is how differently they must have looked at the world back in those days and how, um, you know, what it took for people to climb down inside deadly caves to draw paintings on the walls so that they could tell stories about stuff. That's kind of cool. 
Mm-hmm. That does sound awesome. Um, and so, and also we've always had this uh, trope of like the, the, the aliens are advanced, right? So of course they have some sort of like telepathic ability. And so um, it, it should not be surprising that our, our weird caveman and our weird alien can communicate. And maybe communicate with the animals on the um, savannah too. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so there's some, um, it's not giving too much away to say that there is a pack of wolves and, you know, wolf pecking order and dominance patterns are part of what they have to deal with. And some, you know, just straight up predators. Um, yeah, so there, it's, it's hard to know when you're safe. Oh, sure. So it's interesting. You mentioned that it's either going to, you're thinking it's a one shot or it could expand further into a deeper story. Yes. Um, the other big inspiration I got from this is uh, a temple in um, Turkey, which is 12,000 years old, right? So that's like when there were mammoths and glyptodons, you know, the big armadillo the size of a Volkswagen bug. Like people built a temple then for whatever reason. And uh, that blows my mind. So um, when we get to the end of this, uh, this little 20 something page adventure, um, it's one of those like the end question mark moments. Uh, it definitely leaves the, the door open for possible stuff. And I've, I've got easily 12,000 years worth of stories to tell from that. Wow. Yeah, you definitely <laughs> you definitely have some tales ahead of you, my friend. Definitely yeah. do. So cool. So that's how, that's the writer's problem, is that there's just never enough time to tell them all. Oh sure. How can people find you and be able to help with your Kickstarter? And sure. how long is um, it going? So it's it's published by a company called Unlikely Heroes Studios. And if you look them up um online, they have a pretty good solid presence. And there would be a link to the Kickstarter there. Or the name of the story is called Up From the Skies. It's um, borrowed from a Jimi Hendrix song about mm-hmm. an alien who came to Earth. Knew exactly where you're going with that. Yeah. Great song, too. Oh, yeah, of course. It's Hendrix. And, yeah. Um, so it's called Up From the Skies, and it's currently on Kickstarter until uh, first week of February or so. Excellent. And we will share a link to it up in our show notes. So you'll be able to click and help support John's project. That would be lovely. Thank you. Oh, no worries, sir. And, you know, other projects you have going on or is this your main focus right now? There's always something cooking. Um, I I kind of figured. Yeah. I have another piece that I wrote with my son who was nine at the time. No, ten. Um, and he and I wrote the script and we've been shopping it around to different folks and we've got art coming in slowly. Um, and that's, uh, we were walking home from school one day and he said, who would win in a fight, cowboys or mummies? And oh, like, cool. hold on right there. You, you get 90% of the IP, uh, I'll take bail. You work on the script together. Uh, this is how that's going to work. And, and so we had a little father-son business arrangement arise from that. Oh, dude, that sounds so awesome. 
<laughs> that sounds like a great story, better than Cowboys versus Aliens. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, it's so right about in the 19 teens, there was that Egyptomania craze. Everybody was crazy about it, Egypt. Oh, sure. Yeah, so what, what you know, like, um, seems like there could be a train full of Egyptian relics that would be ripe for robbing, right? This just writes itself, folks. Come on. You know, this is awesome. There it is. <laughs> oh, dude, that is cool. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, good luck with this Kickstarter. And it sounds like a great, great project. Uh, I'll be signing up, and I'll be able to help you out after, you know, after the show tonight. Excellent. Yeah. Um, and, and you guys could probably get an advanced copy if you wanted to read it ahead of time, too. We would love it. We would totally right. love it. So, awesomeness. And one more time, where can people find you? So, let's go to Kickstarter and look up a project called Up From The Skies. Easy enough. And, John, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Let's take a quick break, and we will be back in a moment, and we are going to be talking all about the movie Silent Running. Hey, everybody. Michelle here with the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. Do you like Weird Al? No. No. Do you love Weird Al? Do you really love Weird Al? Do you really, really love Weird Al? If you do, you are in luck because there is a brand new book out about Al. It's called The Weird Accordion to Al. Get it? Get it? Uh, It's by a man who has already written the book on Weird Al. It's called Weird Al the Book back in 2012. His name's Nathan Rabin, and he's former writer of the uh, media site AV Club. Uh, This book was adapted from a column on his site, Nathan Rabin's Happy Place, which you can visit at NathanRabin.com, R-A-B-I-N. The book analyzes every single track on every single one of Weird Al's albums, of which there are 16, because this book includes the Rarities Collection and the Peter and the Wolf collaboration with Wendy Carlos. Um, it's, uh, quote unquote, with an obsessiveness that's downright peculiar. Uh, it's described as equal parts music criticism, cultural and comedy history, autobiography, and comic meditation on nostalgia, television, consumerism, childhood, technology, and food. What else do you want? You need this book. It is available now on Amazon.com. And don't forget that if you go through Amazon.com, you can uh, throw a little change uh, to our way at the, at the ESO podcast. So, hey, what are you waiting for? Uh, this has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. My blog is the Iconic Rock Talk Show.wordpress.com. And we will catch you next time. Space convoy on a strange voyage, carrying a rare cargo. The forests, the plants, the growing things doomed to extinction on Earth. We have just received orders to abandon and nuclear destruct all the forests and return our ships to commercial service. And we're going home! You can't blow up this forest. Thanks, Dammit!
violent running. Cataclysm in outer space. Every moment bringing its own danger as man explores the mysteries of an unknown and limitless universe. Valley Forge, Valley Forge, what the hell's wrong? You're moving out, you're accelerating. I've got a premature detonation on dome number two and I've got an explosion in the main cargo deck. Now please advise me immediately. Give me Barker. I can't find Barker, I can't find Wolf or Keenan either. I'm afraid, Neil, that they might have been in dome number two. Dome number one. Meet the almost human drones, amazing companions on a journey beyond the stars. <laughs> the man has a full house and he knew it. Now how about that? Hear Joan Baez sing Rejoice in the Sun and Silent Running. Hey everyone, welcome back to Earth Station One. And now we are here to talk all about the early 1970s classic, Silent Running. Yes, we uh, it's, we dug deep into the vault for this one. Um, I don't even know, can, is, can you get this on Blu-ray? Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, as you just heard, uh, <laughs> the award-winning Mark Maddox is here joining us for uh, this episode. Okay. Hi. Howdy. <laughs> I'm, okay, this hi. Is, this is weird. I've seen these pictures, and it's like, is this TV, or is this... I, I don't know. I don't know what to do. We're, we're still an audio show. Okay. So, uh, right. Just, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, so uh, no, no, no one at home is seeing what you're seeing, Mark. Exactly. Yeah. But that's normal no. anyway. And, and, and God help I'm, anybody that does. Well, that's good. I'm only wearing a shirt and jacket. Yeah. But... Uh, but nothing else. <laughs> but uh, anyway, just... so yes, thank you for having me on this episode. Uh, I saw it uh, a <laughs> long time ago. I'll get into that later. But um, it's I'm I'm really really happy to be on this episode. Well, we're glad to have you back with us too. It's been way too long, sir. Um, and uh, someone who yes. hasn't been on in quite some time herself. No, just kidding. Uh, Ashley is here with us as well. Uh, not a new movie, but one that uh, Mike insisted that uh, it was better late than never that you see, correct? Oh, damn straight. <laughs> I think this was a big one on your list, right, Mike? Of course it was. This was a movie I f first watched probably, I was like five or six years old, and it was on probably an afternoon movie on like the you know UHF channel. <laughs> That we at home <laughs> and i started watching it and my parents so oh you're watching silent running it's such an awesome movie dude and they sat down and watched it with me it was pretty we cool all got stoned and watched the movie together 
Well, they did have those brownies. <laughs> I don't know what was in them, but yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah, and just jam into the, you know, Joan Baez music and, you know, just, no. It It's actually, the reason I did this movie, it did have a big impact in me when I was a kid. And I saw some people, because we posted up on Facebook earlier today, hey, do you have any comments about this movie that we're going to be talking about tonight? And I was shocked how many people did and how many people love this movie. And one person said it perfectly. It was the same reason I felt bad. And it's jumping all the way to the end. I felt more sad for the robots in this movie than I did for the people, especially Bruce Stern's character. Which is which is weird because it's a movie about <laughs> Bruce. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, yeah, exactly. But, but um, yeah, we'll we'll talk all about that. Oh yeah, um, exactly. But the, the reason I wanted to do this was how it's more prevalent today in today's society than ever before in a lot of ways. Well, it is amazing to me. Uh, you know, we watch. You know, I watch a lot of classic movies as well. And uh, whether it's about race, whether it's about the environment, whether it's about capitalism, the dangers of it, or even, you know, uh, fascism. It's amazing to me that, uh, you know, 50, 40, 30, year, what, however, however many uh, years you want to pull from, there's still issues, right? So uh, we still got a long way to go. Um, Ashley, had you heard of this movie before Mike mentioned it, or did you have any history? Yeah, I feel like I had heard of it, but I didn't know anything about the plot. So I thought it would be interesting to just go in completely blind. I didn't really look up anything about it. Um, I just Googled it, found it on a streaming service, and watched it. So I I thought that would be an interesting experience just to kind of come at it not knowing anything and not knowing what was going to happen. I, you know, I was watching, I hadn't seen it in a long time either. And like Mike, I, I think the first time I'd seen it was, uh, you know, uh, Saturday afternoon on, uh, we used to have on Channel 56, Creature Double Feature, and they would show like science fiction movies as well, not just monster movies. Uh, um, and I think this was part of it then, uh, one of those, because I, I do remember watching it and uh, the, the droids, uh, the drones made a uh, big impression on me at the time. Um, and yeah, I hadn't really thought much about it since then until, uh, Mike insisted that we talk about it at some point and here we are. So, so yeah, it's going to be fun. But I, when I did watch it over the weekend, there were times when I was like, man, I wonder if Ashley just sitting there going, what am I watching? (laughs) (laughs) What is this? I thought I saw to the West. I kept on hearing, damn you favor. (laughs) Um. Uh. So, Mark, what's what's your history with this? Did you did you actually, now did you see this in the theater? Uh, yes. Awesome. But I what happened is, um, we had this. We had a, a movie theater that was like just a, a shoebox thing on this airbase in North Carolina that I loved dearly. I know it's been bulldozed forty years ago. It was bulldozed over, but the theater would only run a a movie one movie a night so in other words there wasn't this three weeks of this or five weeks of that i mean the longest thing they had there was towering in front of which ran for four whole unbelievable days but everything else was one or two days and so every night you could literally go back to the theater every night and watch something else so that had them pulling from older sources but they also had a kids matinee uh on saturday mornings at 10 o'clock and it was 10 cents 10 cents to see a movie and i think it was 25 if you were an adult 
and we were always going to see stuff like Mary Poppins and and Thunderbirds Are Go and Valley of the Guanji and all that. And th- this movie is listed, and I went, "Oh, they're going to show a submarine movie." <laughs> They're going to show a, what is this thing? And a buddy of mine had seen it already. He goes, you've got to go to that movie. You've got to see this film. It's unbelievable. And it's, it's great. It's science fiction. There's great robots in it. I went and saw it. The theater was packed that Saturday morning. And by the time it was over, there was not a dry eye in the house. I mean, it was like 500 kids just sort of with their lower lips quivering. That's trying true. not to look at each other, but What's we all the got the cry? message. Bunch of kids crying, but in but in a good way. I mean, this is the old yeller of science fiction movies, you know. I mean, it's uh, it's it it was it's everybody left the theater a little bit different, a little bit altered, and that's what science fiction does. Whether it's Metropolis and the workers versus the upper echelon, or or Soylent Green, you know, how far are we going to go when we run out of? I mean, it's all this kind of stuff. And Silent Running is in there. And I don't think this film gets talked about enough. I think this movie should be more famous than it is. And, and yeah, well, hopefully we can uh, uh, correct. You can help with it. Yeah. I I am not, uh, I am not at all um, surprised that you thought it might be a submarine movie. There is a classic submarine movie called Run Silent Run Deep, uh, which I'm sure many people would get, you know, cross signals about. So, um, but uh, yeah, so let's, um, Ashley, so you saw it, you didn't know much about it, you went in blind, what was the result? What, uh, what did you feel when you came, were you um, crying? Well, I'm glad that several others had mentioned that they felt more for the robots than the people, because I didn't know, like, am I just a monster? But man, these robot scenes are really hitting me in the feels, so I'm glad to know that <laughs> I'm not the only one who got a little bit sad about the robots. I thought it was interesting that you definitely connect to them more so than the human characters and it was interesting to me when I went in to watch this movie you know know what time knowing what time it was made I was curious to see what kind of impact it might have had on other films after that so it's interesting to see these robots which predate like Star Wars like R2-D2 and C-3PO etc and I just thought that was interesting um, contrast from movies like 2001, which has a more malevolent artificial intelligence presence. So I would be curious to see if like George Lucas or some other early or like 80s science fiction pioneers had seen this movie and what, how it may or may not have impacted them. I think through John Dykes nice. for worked on it as if well. We're, so, if know. we're talking about just special effects and the look of the movie, you can definitely see a through line from 2001 to this to then a few years later with Star Wars. Yeah. Um, because it, Star Wars was like four years later. Yeah. Yeah. This is like right in the middle. Yeah. Like it's a halfway point between those two movies. And you can definitely see that. I mean, obviously it doesn't have, you know, I mean, plot wise and it, it, a lot of the other ways it's a lot different, but, but visually and special effects wise, it, I think it still holds up pretty well, too. I mean, there's something to be said for practical effects because, uh, you know, I was watching this and, and yeah, there's some, you know, I mean, there's some vintage stuff there that doesn't hold up. But most of the time, even the, the shots of the, the actual ship itself, just gorgeous. Uh, I can only imagine, Mark, seeing this on the big screen uh, was just a sight to behold. Yeah. Uh, the, the movie had a budget of a million bucks. Wow. Uh, they used, uh, what's that rear scan? I forget what they call that actual process where they're able to like photograph two objects at the same time. And it sort of puts another 
section of a, of an image in the frame while it's actually happening, which mm. I still, I mean, you talked to Anthony Taylor about that. I don't understand the concept. He tried to explain it to me once. I, don't, I just sat over there and drooled. <laughs> but uh, the uh, the spaceships, that was back when they were still making spaceships really, really large. And uh, and then the, uh, the things with the robots, the technical stuff, uh, uh, getting um, uh, people that have been in accidents and amputees and stuff who were missing their legs to literally walk around the guy had seen the uh the uh, movie freaks the todd browning film and there was a character in there a person who uh was a double amputee and he could walk around on his hands and he actually started they started doing drawings and sketches based on that original idea so that you could have a robot in my opinion probably one of the four or five greatest robots of all time i mean i put it right up there with robbie and Maria and uh, and then the robot from Lost in Space. But the thing about this one that's still almost better than any other robot or robots is that you still don't see a person in there. I mean, even though you know they're walking around on their hands, it's still it still just isn't a person in a suit or something. I mean, it's 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 incredible. And still watching them uh, last night, watching the film again, th- there's a lot a lot of weight. And, and it's very, very believable. But the movie for a million bucks, I mean, Logan's Run came out about three years later and it had a budget of five million bucks. And it Logan's Run as good as this. No, as a matter of fact, the there are some things. I mean, I love Logan's Run. Yep. But, but the, I mean, good Lord, those miniatures with that water looks like somebody threw a rock in a, <laughs> supposed to be a lake and it's going like, you know. So, yeah, I mean, they did a fantastic job. But it's, well, it's but I can only think the, look, the cast of uh, Logan's Run cost more than this movie meant to make. So true. Uh, true. Uh, there was only like there's only six people in this movie. Right. So it's not mm-hmm. like it's a, a huge budget uh, as far as the cast goes. Um, but I will say um, and just one more thing about the, the visual effects. Um, I was watching it's available on Amazon, uh, not as a prime member, unfortunately. So you have to just rent it that way streaming. But. Uh, I did that and it was great looking, but I kept thinking, man, if they, if someone put some time and energy into restoring this thing and making a a decent Blu-ray, man, it would totally just be beautiful. I watched it. I watched it last night. I hadn't seen it probably in 20 years, but I watched it a whole bunch of times to the point where I thought, and I I, I put the thing on. I'm like, you know what? You're not going to cry. You're an old codger now. You're, you're crabby. You know, if anything, you're going to roll your eyes and go, oh, my God, this is so schmaltzy, that kind of stuff. And, man, that music started up and my lower lip just started quivering again. I'm like, oh, no, through the whole two hours. Is, you is, know. is Joan Baez now a trigger for you? Uh, <laughs> only when I only when I think of Faber. But, uh, As well you should, damn it. <laughs> I, I, anytime I got to find anything about a hippie music, I say, I, I say a line to Faber and he'll tell me, oh, well, that's so-and-so. And I go, thanks. And then I go buy the, buy the song. But uh, Yeah, I'm his personal Shazam. <laughs> what can I say? Yeah, really. But, uh, yeah, I mean, so what was I saying? I forget. We got off on a Faber tangent. The, uh, yeah, of course. The models, in, the it models in this are just are amazing. The actual models, the ships, like uh, Valley Forge, was twenty five feet wow. long. Yeah, yeah. And you could actually see they had to, you know, they kept it in storage for a while. The different ships, and but they had to disassemble them after a while because p- pieces were just even during filming were falling off. 
because they were so intricate and everything. But you can still see uh, some of the domes, actually. Uh, Mike, when you were in Seattle, um, you went to the Sci-Fi Museum at the uh, Seattle Center, and they have one of them there. Oh, God. Don't tell me about that. <laughs> that's that's pretty cool. They the the ships look reminiscent. I don't know if they used uh there's a Japanese the architect that they that they based the spaceship but he had a buildings in, in Tokyo or something and Douglas Trumbull photographed the building all over and then and then the spaceship was kind of I don't know if they used like some of the, the spaceship footage or or just the models or just the idea of it. But I, I distinctly recall in the Battlestar Galactica fleet, there was a ship that yeah. looked a lot like one of these. It was <laughs> it. It was it. Yeah. Here, here's my here's my silent running horror story. I'm at the '93 uh, Famous Monsters Convention, and they're selling stuff like there's Bella Lugosi's shoes from the stage production of Dracula in the '50s, and here's his cape, and people are bidding and all this kind of stuff, and they come out with a with a size of a coffee table, a dome for silent running, and they're mm. and they're and they're bidding on it. And it, and the bit, starting bid was 500 bucks, and me and my buddy were both sitting there. I thought, I kind of have 500 bucks, but there's no way it's going to – and it never went above 500 bucks. Nobody bid on it until one guy, Mercy, bid it on it, Gary Dorst. And uh, to this, all these years, like every time I think – I see this film, or anything, I want to kick myself. I'm crying, but I want to kick myself. <laughs> you could have had the dome. Because I could have had – it was the side. Wow. It had all the trees in it and everything. And it was like, <sighs> idiot. Um, I want to get to the message and, and everything like about that, um, you know, in a little bit, but let's, let's talk about, uh, the plot's not like huge and complex. Uh, certainly the characters are not terribly complex. Although I was surprised, uh, when I watched it on Amazon, it, it flags it right in the beginning as saying, this is a, a G rated movie. And as Mark pointed out, I mean, they were showing it to kids all over the place. Um, but yet I'm like, there's like brutal <laughs> murder in this movie. Like, like yeah. I was like, yeah, I was they, like, damn, dude, like that's a G-rated movie. Well, G <laughs> was a lot different back then, dude. It stands for it stands for G whiz. But, uh, I, guess, I guess when a I guess when a hippie is doing murdering, it's G, right? If if it was some brutal like you know somebody being shot or whatever probably and it's so it's so funny too because bruce stern is like in that in the once upon a time in hollywood at the manson ranch so i'm like <laughs> i kind of yeah yeah i can see this yeah it's only a few years after but <laughs> yeah uh, you know everybody's saying that bruce stern is sort of they don't have sympathy for him but you probably have some sympathy for him i actually have a lot of sympathy for the guy if it's like an old western where you've got your land and people are coming to take it away, the cattle barons and stuff. But he's not saving it for himself. He's saving it, like you said, for that little girl that would never hold a leaf in her hand. Right. He was saving it for the planet. And while you're at that point where he kills that guy with that shovel, you you sort of look at it and go, would you have done it? Would you have killed the guy? Plus, it's obviously something that happens in the moment. I mean, because yeah. he reflects on it later mm -hmm. and it haunts him. Uh, yes. So, because uh, he's a hippie and uh you know that stuff gets to him right so he, he can't just move on um um and and i do have to wonder you know for he's like the main guy that's taking that's uh responsible for the greenery and like <laughs> he's like he's like well, i don't know why they're dying i don't know why all the plants are dying yeah. oh wait they need sunlight, sunlight. 
And wow, that was that was deep. Um, well, I, I almost wondered if because I think it had to do something with he said the Earth was seventy two degrees everywhere that that they yeah. weren't they had lived for so mm. long. I don't know how far in the future this takes place, but they were so far in the future that nobody ever dealt with that issue. Like, I mean, I know that's a bit of a stretch, but back then, you know, we kind of bought it. And that could be, I mean, look, I mean, we don't know exactly what I got the, I got the idea that earth at this time period is mainly like, it sounds like it's Mm -hmm. a big mall. Like everybody's inside. It's a, you know, one, it's a temperature, the perfect temperature for everybody. They're all eating synthetic food. It's just, you know, a worst case scenario of a, of a, of a mall. Like every, every country is a mall. Um, well, exactly. And uh, what they were saying literally was that, you know, there was no more room for forests and, and plants I, and such. That's why they I were trying. I don't know trying... if there was no more room for it or if it just was the fact that, like, they couldn't survive because yeah. we had been so uh, either through war or just negligence um, or, that, you know. That, that's where it ties into today. Yeah, yeah where we had just we had just made it uninhabitable for forests. So the only way, well, the only because it seems like the plan is to cultivate these forests in space, and then at some point bring them back, and so that they can, you know, so we can have an atmosphere again or something. I don't know, um, yeah. but uh, obviously the decision is made. Ah, eh, we don't care about that stuff. And yeah, even though. Bruce Stern's character is a little like loopy and everything. It's not hard to like be side with him, not only because we want leaves and plants and trees as well, <laughs> but um, the other guys are just jerks. Yeah. You, you have yeah. to understand. You have to understand something about Bruce Stern, though. Bruce Stern always played the villains. He always played the villain, like on the on Bonanza, on on Big Valley, on Outer Limits, on everything. He was the psycho. You know, we're gonna have to go kill the Barclays. I mean, he was always that way. So to see him in us, even at this much, he was the good guy to us, to the kids. It was sort of like you know we had done enough of that woodsy owl kind of thing to where by the time he was pushing that shovel down on the guy's threads, we, the kids were cheering him on. You know, it, it, but but for him, that actor has always played and it's changed over the years but back at that point he was the villain i mean he was the one that blew john wayne away over and over again in the cowboys you know mm-hmm. so. think of the first time i saw him because he does i mean he is an eclectic actor there's yes. not anybody that's really like bruce dern mm-hmm. out there i mean if you need a bruce dern type good luck if you can't get bruce dern yeah um but uh, yeah, I know that he's done a co- he did a couple of Hitchcock movies, and I was I mean even back in the day I was into Hitchcock, so I probably saw him first in either Family Plot or Marnie something like that. But um, right. yeah, you're right. He does play even even when they give him a character like that's just supposed to be your standard dude, like he doesn't play it that way. Mm-hmm. He always plays a character that's got something else going on back there. The the movie Coming Home, I think he got nominated for the Oscar. I think, I could be wrong, but that performance of his was Oscar worthy. The guy comes home from Vietnam and finds out his wife is fooling around with another guy who just returned from Vietnam. And he just loses it. And I was like, man, this is, might be the best thing he ever did. He's amazing. Yeah. 
Um, but to get him in this film was a coup, as far as I'm concerned. Getting a person who struck a balance between being able to kill and having a good reason for doing it it was a it was a weird. It was like right on the right on the edge, right on the razor's edge with that. Uh, what is Ashley? What did you think of the characters in the? Book yeah, I I did think it was really interesting when he has this very difficult choice kind of put in front of him and very little time to make it. When you think that the stakes are just incredibly high here, like if he just says and does nothing, then like all the forests are gone forever. Like you're not getting it back. Like this is literally it. So it's one like, yeah, I don't think it was right for him to kill the other crew members, but you do have this moment where this is the last bit of, you know, plants in history. And if you don't do anything, then it's just gone forever. So that would be really hard. And his life's work that he's dedicated himself to this. I mean, it can't be fun being stuck up on that space station isolated with these other crew members who aren't the nicest as we've already referred to. And he's been isolated working so hard on this and then they just all want to destroy it. So I can't imagine how, how devastating that would feel. And then just knowing too, that if you do nothing, then people may blame you for like the rest of time for letting this die. So it really is a very high stakes environment. And I think it is interesting to ponder what any of us would do if we were put in that same situation, how we would respond, how we would address it. Uh, One thing I definitely do is, uh, race around yes <laughs> that did look fun <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah that's one thing i did i think that's another thing i took from the movie too i'm like that looks like fun um i didn't realize until uh i'd seen this just this weekend that ron rifkin is in it uh plays uh, marty the the probably the jerkiest of the jerks yeah um which you know i i pretty much uh Every time I see him now, I think of uh, Sloan from Alias, that series, uh, and and, uh, and so yeah, it was really interesting to see him in a in a very a very younger uh, Ron Rifkin. Yeah, oh yeah, big time. Him. I had to go back and look. I mean, you know, you do that nowadays. You open up your IMDb and you check everybody's. Going, oh, that that's so and so. Yeah. Here's a shocking thing that you don't have to now. Like if you're watching it on Amazon, when you hit pause, it flicks up the actors' names oh, under X-ray. everybody, and you can yeah. just like you can highlight them and look at their complete like IMDb. Basically, That's it's cool. really yeah. awesome. That is, that is and, and cool. it does, and it does it exactly. It does it per scene. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it changes whoever's on the screen. I'm like, the only Man. thing that sucks, the only thing that sucks, is when you're watching some kind of a crime mystery, who did it or whatever, and all of a sudden. They're, those pictures are at the bottom when you pause and somebody, the picture of somebody shows up who's supposed to already be dead and then their picture shows up and you go, wait a minute, how can they be? Oh, <laughs> Spoiler! <no." laughs> you bastards! <laughs> they, they, it'll kill it, man. So it's like, turn that thing off. So the, so the movie was shot on the actual Yorktown, the battleship. Does anybody mm-hmm. know that? It, there was uh, the movie, the movie takes place on the Yorktown spaceship they rented uh, the Yorktown that was in Valley the Forge. Valley Forge. Sorry, Valley Forge. Valley Forge. Valley Forge. Yorktown. So I got my Star Trek. So they actually, there. it's interesting. It, the ship, the spaceship is the Valley Forge, and they filmed on the Valley on Forge. On Valley Forge. And then they brought in all these bits and pieces. You know, really, when you look at it. All these corporate logos. Yeah, corporate logos. And you see all these, like, modular pieces that are added to it, and it's perfect. I mean, is once again, that's why it's a million bucks, but it's not that far off. I mean, if you just threw a little bit more oil on some of it, it would look like alien. Yes. Yeah. You know? Oh yeah. Very much so. 
Yeah, yeah that, that was what was neat in about that, it. Yeah, there's a. I'm I'm actually really shocked that you know as we continue on our with like exploring space and space stations and all that. I mean, the template that we that we set out with that we had with 2001 and going forward just seems to be so complete. Like you don't, you very rarely see anything that looks different than that now. You know, it all looks like whether it's new or whether it's used, it still has that sort of aesthetic to it. Oh, exactly. And they use the basis of either like a battleship or a submarine as the template for spaceships. Yeah. The interior for ones that people can actually walk through and such. And it makes sense because that's probably what when we go to Mars or when we go to the moon again and they're larger ships, it's going to look like something like that inside. It's yeah. not going to look like the Enterprise or something. When you, when you look at uh, 2001 A Space Odyssey and the, and the ship is going up to the, to the dock in, in orbit, the, the uh, space station, and then you see uh, R2-D2 and C-3PO, you know, uh, you know, escape in the pod in the 77 film, not too much of a difference between the two, other than the fact that, that George Powell, or George Powell, George Lucas has put, uh, uh, you know, more, more comic book style energy into it, but it's still, there's very NASA looking, the ships in Star Wars and stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So the... Um... The other thing that makes me go that make me think uh, in the part of the movie where I realized that Freeman, uh, yeah, that's a little on the nose. Freeman Lowell, played by Bruce Dern, is little off of his rocker. Is that he names Drone Two Huey? That bugs the crap out of me. Like, if you have Drone One, Two, and Three, why would you? Why do you start like because it's Huey, Dewey, and Louie, right? You would name drone one huey and like i'm like it just bugs me that he goes out of order which one was bigger which one was bigger the one that got named huey um yeah huey was uh your answer i always figured it was fine i don't know what you're complaining about so well you know i I guess size matters to you you both right only pneumatics (laughs) is what you said the other night but (laughs) But the uh, to talk about the drones, yes, uh, that's that's the one thing that stuck with me after I watched this, and probably will stick with me forever. The the drones are unlike any other. The 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 fact that they are, uh, you know, sort of portrayed or you know um, used, uh, they use double amputees to 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 do the you know walking around. Um, but the fact that you know you actually you know feel for them they they seem to have some definite AIs and um, uh, they 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 work together they talk to one another they seem uh, sad when one's hurt uh, certainly when the when you know the Number third one breaks off and dies like they kind of just look at his foot <laughs> like oh and they can't do anything and there's a few times where he tells them to do things and they won't do it because they're too wrapped up in whatever else they're they're doing so that this movie does really set out like they there's something else going on other than just uh you know a little uh programming by uh by oh, yeah it's friends. incredibly powerful when you know they seem to be frozen on the ship and then he goes out and they're staring at the leg from the other one that like drifted off into space it's like well now i feel real sad so it, it's just interesting <laughs> how characters with no dialogue 
can make you feel so deeply. And it, it is interesting. I actually had a little trouble connecting with this film until the robot characters came on. So it's just really cool to me to see how, again, they don't have any dialogue and you can't see any facial expressions, but just the way they're filmed, the way they're moved and the way the story presents them, you can really connect to them and they have little hints of human personalities. And they're creepy. Like they're yes. creepy. <laughs> creepy. I thought they were the cutest things. <laughs> Cute that one toe, that one, that one's waiting for him to finish his, his orders. And he's like tapping his toe. Yes. Like, yep, yep, yep. <laughs> you know, one thing we were talking about earlier about uh, who, who's, who's bad, who's sad, who do you feel bad for? Who do you not like? It's funny. I, in this movie, the only person I don't like is this nebulous. Once again, like back with alien mm-hmm. is the corporate. The corporation has decided we are going to get rid of the domes, blow them up, and come home because financially it isn't working for us. I don't even feel bad. I, I even don't don't think that the guys who are driving around in their go-karts and stuff are bad guys. They they were raised that way. Bruce Stern just thinks outside of the box. I feel bad for everybody that is in, in this film, even the guy that's on the microphone talking to him. It's the corporation giving up. You know, which makes you also wonder, was it those kind of people that caused this problem in the first place? <clears throat> modern times, modern times. Damn, I thought Mike was the hippie on this show. Um, oh, no, no. <laughs> really good. I mean, I've got my Inagata DeVita ready. Uh, the, the bleeding heart uh, of Mark Maddox. Um, I, I get it. Yeah, I mean, I get that. And there's certainly, you know, obviously that is uh, frustration. And the fact that it's this corporate... And and yeah, like you said, it brings it did bring to mind Alien as well with the whole like corporation thing. Like that's, uh, I think we see that in a lot of science fiction. Yeah, you know, a lot of a lot of science fiction that points to it's got truth the fact to it. that it's all going to be you know where we're heading. It's all going to be this generic, you know, cold uh, corporate atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, that's it's already scary. heading that it's already heading that way hey you know sometimes it seems like it goes better better the way of the people that love nature and all that kind of stuff and all of a sudden it's back the other way it's like can we stop this vacillating and just get it <laughs> get this plane leveled well it does swing a lot and and yes i mean uh, obviously uh the 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 movie here uh obviously the big the big thing is environmentalism, right? I mean, it's just, oh, of course. that's just, that's in your face, right? <laughs> that's, that's uh, you know, save the trees. I mean, that's literally the point of this movie. Um, uh, but there are some other, I think, yeah, there's some other things you can take away with this as well. Um, Ashley, what did you think of the, the theme? Was it too on the nose? Was it too, oh, what do they call it now? Like, um, you know, beating you over the head with it. Um, was it too obvious Blaring. or was it, yeah, it wasn't subtle. No, all, and but. I think sometimes some maybe it does have to be a little over obvious in order to get people's attention because I think it's really important for us to think about there are certain things once they're gone, like you can't get that back. Like, for example, an endangered species that goes extinct, like that's just gone. You're not getting it back. So you need to do something now. And you think about like natural areas or historical sites, just any of these kind of things. Like if we don't take care of them, they will go away and you can't just recreate or manufacture that. So I think it's good for us to keep that in mind, to think about it. We don't want to get to a point where, 
oh, all the green things we have on earth are in this little tiny dome that's floating through space. Like you want to do something before you get kind of past a point of no return. So I think it's um, something that people need to continue to talk about and be aware of. I think it's interesting. Um, Freeman's choice at the end to go down with the ship instead of, you know, break off with, uh, with uh, Dewey and, and, and just live on a dome. I think that would be an option, right? I mean, there's oxygen. Uh, He should be getting food um, from the vegetation and everything. So you would think, you know, if he could just break off there and, and then just, you know, set the, the, the ship to explode, but it does seem like, he was paying for yeah. his sin. That's, that's what I was about that's to say. That's it. Yeah. You could see they multiple times showed him, even like when he's driving that the little car around us, there was like flashes mm-hmm. of the guys that he let, he had uh, done wrong yeah. yep. and all that. And it was like, I think that seems probably that one scene where he's, hold, I mean, a man holding on to like a little metal box and crying to it really gets to me. You know, like, I just can't stay. I can't, I, 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 you know, things haven't gone well for me. And then he takes the other robot with him, you know. Um, he couldn't live with it. He couldn't live with what he had done. I did think it was mean for him to take Huey. I mean, even if Huey wasn't productive, it seemed like they had a connection that I didn't think it was necessary for him to take uh, Huey with him. Yeah. <laughs> it seemed kind of mean, right? I mean... You know, I mean, they had that connection and I don't know. It just seemed like that. I, I, I think he did it. I think he did it because he named him wrong. He gave him the wrong name. And so he <laughs> was trying to hide it. Well, that makes sense. That makes absolute <laughs> sense to me. Yeah. Like he realized this is a mistake and he had to pay for that mistake. Now, of Huey, not you got to come with me now. You got to go. I, I, <laughs> I, I also think that, uh, you know, certainly in this day and age, you wouldn't be able to get away with that because Disney would be all over you. Right? Like, <laughs> we got to do five films. Those robots are getting their own show, their own television show. At least a Saturday morning cartoon or something. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Maybe that's why he had to name them out of order. It's no, no Disney. It's not Huey, Dewey, Louie. It's Dewey, Huey, and Louie. It's totally different. (laughs) You can't sue us. (sighs) Oh, my. Uh, Mike, uh, what about the uh, the message? Certainly, environmentalism uh, and other aspects of this movie uh, that resonate with you. Well, for me, you know, it was the whole. You know, it was the environmentalist, the whole, you know, peacenik and hippie thing. You know, Bruce Dern, right from the very first time you see his character, you know, he's wearing the robes and then he's swimming in the water, you know, probably naked, and then. He's, you know, throughout the whole thing, he's just preaching to the other guys. Look at where your mind's going. <laughs> it's true, though. But if you look at him, he's like, you know, the he's it's the a G-rated movie. He had it's a, he he was though. <laughs> the thing is, though, he was sitting, you know, eating the vegetables and you know harvesting and you know the earth, the earth father, if you want to call him like that, and you know, basically, you know not wearing his spacesuit and, you know, just the whole thing with that. And it was just, you know, from there, right from there, he was, you knew he was the sympathetic character. The other people were just jerks and they didn't care. They were destroying the fruit. They were driving 
their you know vehicles over the grass and no, killing plants and you know they were just like ah it's just a job you know and then they got all excited when they found out that they could go back to earth and you know they had no second thought about destroying the animals and the plants and everything yeah i mean we talk about the animal i mean the plants but i mean they were pretty brutal when they were launching those those domes and showing them explode, that, uh, giving us tons of imagery of oh, right. animals, animals. small furry animals. Even like, the movie's a little prejudiced about it. They're not showing like a tree. They don't just show like a tree sitting there. They show a bunny rabbit. <laughs> exactly. Or, you know, or a little or turtle. Lizard, or lizards. And, you yeah. know, and that was the thing. You know, <laughs> it, it did look like each dome was a different yeah. climate also. Yeah, they said that. They said one. They were naming off the different. One of them that didn't make any sense to me. They'll say, "Well, we've got this one dome that we're getting ready to blow up, and it's a desert." I'm like, uh, "Okay, I don't think." <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's sad. I mean, there's beautiful deserts and everything like that, but you know, that's not going to produce any oxygen. Yeah, one of the one of the domes is uh, one of the ships that carries domes is called the Mojave, and you're kind of like just sand? <laughs> some, some cactus, <laughs> just carrying around Maybe some sand? cactus there, <laughs> a few tumbleweeds. Okay, all right, all right. One of them. One of them was the haunted mansion. <laughs> yeah. Well, there was the Valley Forge, the Berkshire, uh, Sequoia, and then there was also the Yellowstone, Arcadia, Blue Ridge, Glacier, and Mojave mm-hmm. for the different ships. And so it, it it was interesting, and there was no way that he could have survived this movie. You know, he you know he had to destroy the ship to destroy the evidence because he was saying that there was an explosion and that's what set off the, you know, the one where the two astronauts were killed. Well, and once, you know, I think after he survived the, uh, the rings of Saturn, I think he thought, I'm just going to float away. We'll be in the clear. You could tell he was lonely, uh, but also, um, but he, you know, it was for the greater good. But when they all of a sudden found him, and they're like, yeah, we're going to keep looking for you. And he's like, no, okay, I'm just going to have to uh, blow up the ship. And, you know, the, the other ship was only like two hours away, which I imagine was not very far. So, I, I you know, it's uh, the, the logistics of this sometimes don't make sense because uh, um, I'm just kind of like, well, obviously they can see what you're doing. And they could probably tell what you're doing with the data, you know, that they're getting. But whatever that doesn't like well they were even saying hey they were saying hey we don't see any of this damage you mentioned and oh it's on the other side of the ship yeah it's like yeah he wasn't that smart but but he does that whole like uh he does that whole like you know that that train like sure you're breaking up (laughs) i can't really (laughs) we're going into a valley and a canyon i can't (laughs) i don't have a signal one thing, one thing that was interesting to me watching this again, having not seen it for about 20 years, was the types of science fiction. And I know that Douglas Trumbull is – he's always – he was always the kind of guy to really pay attention to what is the newest thing. So working on Close Encounters or working on, on Brainstorm or whatever is that there's, he's almost like Michael Crichton in a way. It's like what do we know so far and, and what, can, what kind of a story can we tell using this? And even like when Bruce Dern is there with that – that headset thing looking to switch the robots over to his control it's something that is so crude by today's standards you know nowadays somebody open, let me open up my phone or let me open up the laptop and just hit a few things and do louie and dewey you're mine now but he has to go in there and pull all these circuits and the robots are out there looking around going hey what the hell's going on 
and it it looked it's still a product of 19 you know it basically started 69 70 71 uh working on this thing and it's that that's the thing probably for me that's the most dated is the that that type of science fiction well i don't find you know as far as uh high concept and message science fiction now i haven't you know i mean we're this is another um uh, show subject that keeps getting pushed back that we have on our schedule but i thought in some ways i'm like this would make a perfect episode of dark mirror if you just like obviously made it a bit more violent because you know you need to because <laughs> it's dark mirror um so you'd have to actually show him strangle the hippie would strangle like the guys or whatever oh, of um, course <laughs> well but he he literally that crushed that ends, that guys i mean there's a bit of hope larynx yeah but yeah. not not a lot no, very much so. And it could make a really good episode of Dark Mirror. And truthfully, you know, this, you know, would be a great movie to remake in some ways and tie even more to today. Sure. I definitely yeah. could see that. Yeah, I I know that we've been uh, like a, a couple of weeks ago, we were on Earth Station One and we were reviewing an episode which uh, a lot of people thought that the message was a little heavy handed and I kind of echoed well at the time I, uh, I mentioned and, and actually, you are you, it. are you talking about Dr. Who or? Yeah. Did I say that? Sorry. No, you said um, Earth Station One. Oh, sorry. 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 Uh, yeah. On Earth Station Who. Um, and, you know, people were complaining that it was, oh, it's too heavy handed. It's too in your face. You know, I just like my messages to be a little bit more subtle or whatever, low key. And I'm like, no, no, the time for that is over. Like, look at where we are now. This movie was made in 1972, right? Yeah. Um, the, that's, it's still an issue. It's still something that we need to be concerned about. We haven't done squat to, like, keep uh, this from happening. And at, after a certain level, after a certain point, you kind of have to go, well, I'm just going to get out and say it. I'm just going to put it in your face. This is what's going to happen. This, what would, this is what would happen if you act like this if you keep doing this this is what it's going to be like and 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 hope that people even then still get the message because you know the time of uh just sort of like being passive and like oh yeah that'd be cool to hear a message like that or whatever is done like we need to we need to shout it from the rooftops and and, and, and we need to, and we need guy. we need movies that have a definite call to action as as the older guy here i when we watched those kind of movies when I was a kid, when you watched Soylent Green or you watched, hell, even the Omega Man where they fire missiles at Russia and trying to fire missiles. I just saw Planet of the Apes. Yeah, and you yep. watch this stuff and you go, boy, you know what? They're giving us this message now so that in 20 years there's none of this crap. And yet we have people that do stuff that try to make it better. Other people come along and undo things there's... For, for money you watch enough science fiction you see two kinds of futures right you see one where oh we made it everything's great we actually got over all our our differences and petty star differences. Trek. <laughs> exactly star trek and learn to work together and it's a great thing yeah um and and but more often you get dystopia you get apocalyptic you get like no no this we just we we messed up I think, it's messed a up bad and, and I, I think if you if you our constantly, future is grim 
Yeah, I think if you constantly show just negative futures, I think people are going to, yeah, well, it's going to eventually, some, something like that's going to happen. So we might as well just get used to it. It's like, no, I want to see Star Trek. I want to see people to keep their damn spaceship clean. You know? I, I, you know, I, I don't believe that you have to, you know what I'm saying? I don't want to, it doesn't have to look like Blade Runner. It doesn't have to be like that. You know, we, we can make that choice. And that's I, what movies like this tell you. Right. And I think the thing about Star Trek and not to get on a platform about Star Trek, because I'm actually really not keen on it right now, but um, uh, <laughs> is that is that it does provide a vision. It like it shows you it's possible. This is a vision we can shoot for. It's not an abstract. This is something that, you know, whereas, a, you know, a dystopian future is kind of like, yeah, that's we kind of figured that's what how things were going to be. And and this movie is hopeful. And to an extent, but it's not a lot of hope, which is another kind of weird. I mean, because really, the only hope for the forest is that you know that well, you all can you can only hope that there's more people out there like Freeman that are willing yeah. to. Well, we are. That's what the movie teaches us. That's what you hope for. But you know, I still want to know how that little robot's going to change one of those light bulbs. <laughs> <laughs> gonna, or gonna even just if go over and knock the thing over if he even had like a more spare light bulbs you know mm-hmm. um or you know like look an asteroid could come along and just you know yeah take care of that real quick too. i mean so yeah. they've got they've got no way they've got no steering yeah. on that thing that's just floating away just floating <laughs> well ju- and just think about it all the rabbits that are oh be producing on that like, <laughs> like tribbles right some, exactly some, you're gonna have a dome full of tribbles <laughs> you're literally gonna have it, it, it yeah. cracking because there's so many rabbits piled on top of each it'll, other it'll get, uh, picked up by some alien spaceship and the rabbits will just like flood just like everywhere and there'll be rabbits forever yeah. across the universe <laughs> but yeah something i did wonder uh, after the movie was over is like well what happens to that dome is it just going to keep going like is it going to get picked up by aliens will somebody from earth goes searching for it years in the future so i know we talk about hollywood doing too many sequels but i would be curious to see you know what happens to this dome like 50 100 years into the future like what i think i think that's Mm -hmm. what you're hoping for is that it's floating out there and some sometimes somebody goes hey wait a minute what what is that and it's oh my god it's one of those domes and there's plants and maybe we should keep it that's a little bit of that but they left nebulous enough to get you to cry one of the things I was reading about this movie, though, was pretty interesting that the way the models were designed and everything with the domes placed how they were, there was no way that the people could have been going in and out of them like they were. Because basically the way they were set was there was only one entry point and that was straight through the bottom where uh, where the rockets were there and they they made it look like they could just drive right out through the port the sides and if they did that they'd be going out into space <laughs> yep, exactly it's like uh it's like well, well, two, so there wasn't a there wasn't space. a perimeter tunnel there wasn't a perimeter tunnel around the dome and then Wow. Yeah. Right. We're we're thinking way too <laughs> so, so I don't I don't think I don't think Douglas Trimble Trumbull, who's who's still around by the way, uh he is he is still uh doing stuff. He's still doing yeah. special effects, he's still doing um yeah, visual effects. He's got a few companies that I think of innovative companies that uh mm-hmm. he's, uh, he's still, still tied together with. So I mean he's still a factor in, in movies now. So Oh yeah, he still has the robot costumes at his house. Oh wow! Yes, yeah. so it's pretty awesome. And he is a great visionary. 
I mean, you look at his body of work, uh, the things that even if he didn't personally direct them, he's responsible for the visuals of 2001, Close Encounters, Star Trek, the motion picture, Blade Runner, uh, Brainstorm, a bunch of others, a bunch of others. Uh, Extremely talented, like a, like a, a consummate professional. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So if you're not familiar with Douglas Trumbull, um, not only see this movie, but see all his other stuff too, because uh, yeah, he, he, there's that consistency. Once you hire Trumbull, you don't have to worry about it. Looking good. Exactly. All right. So I guess we will um, rate it. I don't know. Should we rate this? Yeah, let's before, rate it. Before we do that, though, we okay. did get a couple comments on Facebook about gotcha, this movie. Okay. Um, cause I posted earlier and we're going to start doing this on the show more often just to get other people's opinions about the movies or the subjects that we're talking about just to get a little more interactive and everything. So basically, uh, Nick Frazier wrote, love the film was fortunate enough to get to see what used to be called at the EMP, which is the experience music project I was telling you about earlier in Seattle, when Douglas Trimble was in the audience, lots of interesting stories about the making of this movie when they did a, f- a filming of it. Uh, well, uh, basically, Nathan Laws said he saw it when he was five or six. Very disturbing to my young mind. It remains the only movie that has ever given me nightmares where I needed to call for my parents in the middle of the night. Wow. I wonder uh, what in particular. Was it the creepy robots? I, that's a good question. It is a good question. We'll have to ask him about that. It was Maybe the it was, murdering hippie. It was the murdering hippie, I think, that he was scared of. <laughs> he had nightmares of murdering hippies for the rest of his life. Sean, Sean Vanderloo wrote, fantastic film, great message, cool robots, love it, can relate to the feeling of the main character. Uh, he's Canadian, so that explains so much. I was going to say, I'm like, this has Canada written all over it. What is this hippie hate tonight? Jesus. No. I know. I love my hippie friends. Okay. Uh, David Craig wrote a classic science fiction film. It had a wonderful pace. It did. It, it moved very smoothly. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, Colin uh, Bordelli, this was one of the first serious sci-fi dramas I saw as a child. I must have been only six or seven when it came on TV. I bawled my head off at the end, but I was more sad for the robot than for the human. (laughs) And Nathan Laws responded to that. He said, exactly, that robot's forever alone. (laughs) Yeah, I guess that's what creeped him out. Mm-hmm, exactly. Uh, Robert Snavely, Huey, Dewey, and Louie rocked. Uh, yeah, but uh, one of them didn't really get the name because yeah. his foot was only left. I know. He went in the film very long. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Lewis, he got his name posthumously. Yeah. Louis Bailey, one of my favorite films. Uh, let's see. Anthony Osley said, Bruce Stern's teeth frightened the hell out of me in this movie. <laughs> Uh, he also said the film score was by Peter Schinkel, yeah. aka Pete. Yep, Schinkling, Pete, aka PDQ Bach. Yeah. And Alan Seiler just wrote, "Oh my God, I love this movie. I would have loved to have been on this podcast with you guys." <laughs> well, sorry, yeah. sorry, Alan. But yes, sorry. Right. But it's nice to Thank see you. that it's gotten some love. I mean, as you mentioned, Mark, it's a movie that doesn't get a lot of mention, doesn't get a lot of claim. There's not a lot of, I mean, even look, when it I've came been, out, 
it wasn't uh, advertised. That's what Douglas Trumbull said. They just didn't, they didn't put any money in the advertising. They, they and, gave them the million bucks for the film. But not and as much as it's been an impact, I mean, I've seen a lot of things and I will, I will admit if I ever am at Dragon Con and I see Huey and Dewey and Louie, I will geek out. Yeah. Totally if I makes see sense. Someone in a, in a Bruce Dern type robe. I, I won't <laughs> register that. Back away slowly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get away from me, you Turn murdering on. hippie! He's got he's got free cantaloupe. Though. <laughs> All the cantaloupe he can eat. <laughs> All right, so I guess we will uh, give our two cents and rate this uh, 1972 movie. Ashley, what uh, what overall? Yeah, are you I would give? say for me personally, I'm going to give it three stars. I don't know that it was my most favorite science fiction movie, but I personally, but I think it was still very valuable for me to watch it. Um, like I said before, I love the robots and um, I appreciated the themes and just how thought provoking it was. And I also appreciated some of the technology, like how good the models look. I was really impressed. It's been interesting. I've been watching back through Firefly with some of my friends, which is a more recent science fiction show. But I think actually the models on Silent Running look better than some of the special effects on that TV show. So it's really interesting to see how it made an impact on later science fiction movies. So I really enjoy getting a chance to watch a classic and kind of expand my film horizons a little bit more. Awesome. Awesome. Mark, what about you? Um, what's the rating thing? I mean, she said, th- I thought it was like one to 10, but one she, to five. I mean, you could do oh, it one to five. Really. Yeah. I'll give it uh, a good solid three and a half to four somewhere <laughs> in there. I, I give it, I give, I do what Leonard Malton does when a film's older and and can't compete like with some of the modern technologies. Uh, he always gave it an extra half a, a point, and I think that the movie deserves uh, as much love as a lot of the the good good stuff we get nowadays. When we get something good nowadays, I'd put it in there. Like I think uh, I think overall, and I'm going to let you go last, Mike, since this was your pick. Um, but uh, I, I think I'm with Ashley, uh, giving it a solid three. Um, the effects and visuals are amazing. Did you say you had the Blu-ray, Mark? Yes. Okay. And did they do any restoration? Does it look beautiful? It looked great. I mean, it yeah. looked, it looked, I mean, the copy that I saw was a beat up copy at the theater when I was a kid. So mm-hmm. yeah, this looks, this is the best viewing on the 80 inch TV set I've ever had, you know, cause I was looking at it, you know, through the Amazon thing and it looked, I mean, it looked okay, but it didn't look like it didn't blow me away, but, um, but there is something to be said for practical effects. And there's that period between um, 2001 and star wars whereas as much as we all love star wars um there was a lot more thought-provoking science fiction being made in the 70s uh that i think people should really check out um much more experimental stuff done and that's a great period of just really early entry sci-fi stuff and they have and and a lot of it looks great like this one so yeah so that's what that's where i kind of stand on it and the message is cool too and Mike. Okay. I'll probably give it about a 25 out of <laughs> no. Um, I really enjoyed it. I watched it this time. It's probably been close to 30 years since I've seen it last. Wow. And, you know, it was always one of those on my list. Oh, I got to show it to William. I, you know, he's going to love it when he was little, but then again, you know, maybe that'll give him nightmares. So just maybe not. So basically, I'm going to give this one a solid four. 
It holds up really well. Story has a lot of holes in it, but the effects and just the the scenery and the shots make up for it. The only thing that didn't give it for a five was that damn Joan Baez song. <laughs> I'm sorry. It took away from me. <laughs> There's two songs. Uh, I know. Uh, See, yeah, half, I, half point each. Oh. <laughs> it's weird. I mean, wait, wait, I, I, wait, I wait, are you like deducting them. points? Well, yes. Joan Baez songs? Uh, yes. Wow. I thought you knew wow. Joan Baez. No. I okay. never said that. I, I thought you were Joan Baez. <laughs> in my last lifetime but yes Uh, well very cool very cool well um i think yeah i think we all agree check it out see it um and i'm glad mike that we finally got around to talking about it it's uh, finally when we could take off our tba list yes absolutely absolutely it was was it worth it worth the the wait oh of course it was it got to share share it with my friends so it's pretty awesome right and actually got to see it for the first time Absolutely, absolutely. Well, very cool. Well, thanks, everybody. And uh, we will be right back uh, with, uh, with the close. Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela. And this week, this geek girl is talking about The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, Part 3. So there is so much going on in the new season, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, that I feel I need to split it up into two episodes because it's just so much to talk about and I can't do it on three minutes. We start out with the Sabrina gang going to hell to get Sabrina's boyfriend Nick back. They find a portal that will get them to hell from one of Dorian Gray's portraits that he has and make the long trip through the different areas of hell to get to where Nick is with Lilith. They have to go through different perils to get to their final destination. Eventually, Lilith just lets them come to her because she needs Sabrina so Lilith can try and keep her power over Hell. Sabrina ends up becoming the new queen of Hell and making Lilith her advisor, but is then challenged by the prince of Hell, Caliban, who isn't a demon, but made from the clay of the land there. Sabrina has to find three relics to guarantee her the throne, all while joining the cheerleader squad and trying to get her father, the devil, out of her boyfriend and just be a teenager. All of this, while all of this is going on, a carnival comes to town and Theo meets a boy named Robin and develops a crush. While Sabrina is looking for the first of the three relics, a crown that she finds is in Riverdale. So her and her cousin drive to Riverdale to find this crown, which they do find, but... It's actually being worn by a zombie that they don't know until after they've taken the crown. So the zombie follows them back to Greendale and starts his mission to find his crown. The group goes to this giant carnival. Then as they enter, Ross sees that the carnival ringleader isn't human, but a satyr in disguise. And you really get a weird vibe from this carnival. Sabrina ends up losing the first challenge by Caliban cheating and grabbing the crown from her while the king who is wearing the crown is attacking Sabrina. Well, that's the first half of season three, so I will talk about the rest of it next week because it is really crazy and it got really weird really fast. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support, and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. 
with the ESO Network Patreon. The cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO Network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. I want to thank our guests for being here, Mr. Mark Maddox. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I'm just very pleased that you guys picked me to do this episode. I thank you very much. It was amazing. We actually had quite a few people who wanted to do this one, and I wasn't expecting that. I really wasn't. And I'm so glad, you know, we got to educate Ashley even further. And, you know, it was always great hanging out with you, sir. Cool. So well, it's always a pleasure. Appreciate it. Anything you want to talk about or promote? Uh, just uh, more more Blu-ray covers coming from uh, a Shout Factory dealing with Hammer Films. Uh, a couple that I can't mention because they're they're new. Uh, they're hush hush at this point, but I just finished up the one for Curse of the Werewolf, the Oliver Reed film. So that'll be coming out here pretty soon. And it's fun. I get I get to do uh, artwork of films that I love, so I'm having a great time. Uh, magazines. I've got another little shop of horrors coming out this year. Some Scream magazines and more, uh, other stuff. There's a lot of things going on. I know that uh, I know that um, Criterion will probably never touch Silent Running. Sometimes but, the Criterion uh, will surprise you. Though. Sometimes they'll just yeah. I mean, um, I mean they did just no, did true, all the Godzilla true. films. I mean the early the Showa era. I mean they did all those. Yeah. Yeah. But that said, even if they don't, I mean, I think Shout Factory is a good, like, you know, I think they would do a great job yeah. with uh, sure. releasing. Um, Most Factory. definitely. And where can people find your work, sir? Uh, I'm on Facebook a lot. That's I do that even over my own page, uh, which is uh, maddoxplanet.com. But Facebook is where I'm at when I, you know, show what new artwork I'm doing and people ask me questions and stuff like that. So I'm the Mark Maddox that lives in Tallahassee, Florida. Excellent. Awesome. And Ashley, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to talk movies with you guys. Oh, always great. And always, I like when we talk movies you know, older ones with you sometimes, like every couple of months, you know, just to throw it in. It's like, where can we throw Ashley a curveball this time? <laughs> I really enjoy it. It's great to go back and see some of these classics that just weren't on my radar or that I hadn't gotten around to seeing it yet because there's so many great new movies, but there's definitely really great stuff in the past too that I think if you're a film fan, it's important to have appreciation of what's come before. It is awesome. And, you know, it also, you could see in this movie what other movies have taken from it. Oh, exactly. Exactly. And that was, that's one of the great things that, you know, it's just awesome to see. Uh, But, you know, I love what you're doing with your Western. Do you want to talk about that real quick? Yeah. So um, 
a couple, oh, I think about a year ago, I did a Better Late Than Never blog series where I went back and watched some classic films. And one of those I watched was The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Before that point, I didn't think I really liked Westerns, but that movie mm. just blew my mind. And I loved what, I decided I loved that movie so much that I am now starting a blog series just about going back and watching some Westerns. So I have really enjoyed that so far. I've watched um, Tombstone, both versions of True, True Grit, and the next one up is The Quick and the Dead. And I'm also excited because uh, Mike Gordon and I are doing some special uh, Patreon episodes where we're chatting a little bit more about some of the movies in this series. So it's been really fun, um, kind of exciting to discover this whole new genre that I had kind of written off previously. And it's kind of fun to be excited about something new and delving into something I hadn't really seen before or been familiar with. So it's it's been a really valuable experience, and I've got some more fun movies yet to come that is awesome i can't wait to see what else you come up with and mr mike gordon as always it's my pleasure always great to have you on sir what do you got to shout out about well a couple things uh two other podcasts and one that uh ashley just mentioned uh it's uh, great fun to hang out and talk with her about um i'm getting a chance to rewatch these westerns as well with a whole new set of eyes uh so that's uh that's fun uh, we, uh, the first one we did, we, uh, talked about tombstone and, uh, that'll be out by the time, uh, people, it'll be only available to our patrons. So, uh, you can subscribe and, and, and hear us talk all about, uh, tombstone and the other Westerns. Um, so, but that's been a lot of fun. And then last week, or actually this will be out, uh, this week as well, will be, uh, my second week in a row appearance on, uh, needless things with, uh, Dave. And uh, this time we're talking all about the state of wrestling. Uh, we went and watched um, a uh, live uh, taping of NWA episodes. And uh, then, of course, you know, this weekend was the Royal Rumble. So wrestling, it was a big weekend wrestling. And we, uh, we, we got together with a couple people and talked about some of our thoughts about, about the industry right now. And it was great fun. So check that out. That is awesome, sir. It's really cool when you can be able to do stuff like that and talk about, you know, things you love and be able to get it out to more and more people. And that actually leads into my big shout out. Uh, a lot of people have been knowing that, you know, I've been working behind the scenes a lot, getting, you know, improving how people could find Earth Station One, how people could find the ESO network, you know, things like that. And it's just been very busy, you know, for me doing that. Uh, we now officially do have the earthstation1.com website up and we're always going to be making improvements to it. So please check it out. Uh, we're also now uh, going to have our upcoming schedules up there. So you're going to be able to see here and see our podcasts, but also you'll be able to see what topics we have coming up on earth station one over a certain amount of period and such. We're going to post that and it's going to be constantly updated as the shows go live and new topics come up, but we're also going to have our con appearances up there too. So, you know, you might even hear up, you know, before we have up on the con report here on the show, you might be able to see what cons that Mike and I are going to be at. And that's going to also be updated. And it's exclusively just for Earth Station One, not for Earth Station Who and some of the other uh, 
ESO Network podcasts, which, you know, we talk about in the Con Report. This is all exclusively Earth Station One. But also, really happy to announce, we just got a brand new affiliate for Earth Station One that we are going to be able to be heard up on iHeartRadio as of today. We got approved. We are up there. So please tell your friends and neighbors, if you subscribe to iHeartRadio, you can now hear the Earth Station One podcast in its entirety. Yes. And you could listen to past episodes and it'll be updated if you subscribe that way. We're also on Stitcher. We have a full list, folks, of you know places that you can hear Earth Station One now. You can not only through our regular RSS feed if you subscribe that way, but you can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Google Play, Casterbox, Castro, Overcast, uh, Podcasts, Cats, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, and we're going to probably be on Pandora soon. Also, so there's you know wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Earth Station One will be there. And we're trying to get out to more and more people, tell your friends, let everybody know about us. We would love to it. As like we like to say, Earth Station One is the biggest podcast nobody's ever heard of. So it's pretty awesome. So, you know, please, you know, just tell everyone about us. We we appreciate it. Mike appreciates it. You know, everyone who's involved with the network, everyone who's involved mm-hmm. with our guests everything this is you know this is our way of coming to you and giving these shows to you and this is what we love to do and you know we thank you when you guys listen and there are people out there who tell everybody about us and we do appreciate it you know just tell more that's all we can ask for and everything you do we appreciate and speaking of appreciating we are going to be back again next week and darren is finally going to be here and he's going to be educating us you ready for this? We are going to be talking all about next week, Mommy Dearest. So, folks, no more wire hangers, as I like to say. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun. Until then, my name is Mike Faber. We will see you here next time on the Air Station One podcast. Peace, and we are done. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Air Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.